Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Does mine? I'm on. Yeah, here we go. I'm going to switch mics. How's that one? Yeah, we can hear you, Brian. Yeah. Welcome to the studio. <laughs> Welcome to Planet R. <laughs> yeah. In case you haven't realised, we are on Triple R. We are. <laughs> Where it is, coming up to four minutes past nine. And yes, this is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Brian. How are we going? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? I love this time of year. The yeah, crisp mornings, all the colours in the trees, the fact that, you know... Yeah, tend to go outside as often as you can because you're like, oh, this could be the last sunny day. This could be the last sunny yeah. day. This could be the last one. So you just sort of make the most of it as much as possible. I reluctantly dragged out my clothes horses to put uh, washing on. Uh, <laughs> I talk too much about washing on this show. Well, if, I can let you know that we permanently have them set up in our house. So there you go. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at my poor old washing line going, sorry. I think it's all over for a few months. Yes, and you and I are on the washing show and we'll <laughs> come up with the top five waves right, to we'll save water. Thank you, Stephen, very much uh, for three hours of, uh, of, of Vital Bits, Phil. What would be a Vital Bits, Phil? We might need to have an... We, it's so rare that we have a Phil for Vital Bits. We don't really kind of have an alternative name for it. It was, but the funny thing was I put my headphones in this morning when I woke up and put it on and I'm like, this isn't Tim. Like no. I could just tell straight away I loved it, but I'm like, this isn't Tim. So what... Where is Tim? Uh, Tim is, uh, he's, he's a little bit poorly. He um, is recovering in bed. So we send our love to you, Tim. And, well, we think he's in bed. I don't know. I haven't got any visuals. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a bit crook. So we hope very much he'll be back next week. So we love you, Tim, and we miss you, Tim. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. On we roll. Uh, we're going to shortly be joined in studio. No, we're not. We're going to be joined by Skype. Um cabin boy brett ditchfield so he's going to bring us uh, a sailing report we were going to do this last week but we spent so long chatting with cliff at davis at uh, god i've done it now casey station yeah i caught that yeah Chat with cliff. that was fantastic i'm hoping we'll get sort of updates see how his uh, mental health is going in the middle of winter oh this is his fourth one he's a pro oh, he's, yeah he knows school. what he's yeah. doing um but he has sent us a weather report um from uh from antarctica this morning so i'll get to that in a second um so yes we're going to be catching up with cabin boy he's going to give us a sailing report and um have a little talk about places where you can sail if you don't live by the sea that makes sense yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. We are then um, going to cross to Ocean Grove to speak with Bellarine Peninsula artist Chelsea Gustafson. Her work's amazing. I'm only just catching up with it now. and her, It's absolutely incredible. She uses um, washed-up beach debris. This is in her current exhibition. She's done all sorts of, uh, all sorts of stuff over the years um, and creates stunning art that expresses her worries about the health of our oceans and questioning the role we as individuals play in making this world a better or sometimes worse place. So, yeah, wonderful stuff. 
I wonder if she's one day looking forward to not being able to make that up because there is no letter washed up on the beach. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it? So there's an exhibition called Not Quite Right, uh, which is opening this week in Flinders Lane Gallery. So we're going to speak with Chelsea about that. And then we are going to be joined also on Skype by baykeeper Neil Blake. He'll be talking about the perils of not-so-innocuous synthetic grass. You might have seen an article in last Saturday's age, I believe. It might have been Sunday, uh, about synthetic grass and the problems of what happens when the little bits of grass, which of course are plastic, make their way into the waterways and ultimately out into the bay. Yeah, and seeing Neil in the paper had that effect of all I saw was synthetic grass everywhere I went after reading that article. And it is in a lot of places. Yeah. Like, you know, not only sporting fields, nature strips and sort of front gardens. It's Yeah, it's everywhere. Are they the new nurdles? Potentially. It would be, Neil, Neil be, will tell us. They'd be an additional noodle, wouldn't they? Yeah. Because <laughs> the noodles are still a problem too. Now, um, should I read the weather, Bron, for all those that are laying in bed? Please. Yes. Today... Or driving their cars or yeah, know, doing stuff. I shouldn't assume that all Triple R listeners are hungover on a Sunday morning. That's very wrong of me. It is a gorgeous day out there today. We're heading for a top of 17. Light winds at the moment. Um, the sun is shining. I'm saying that there might be some... Um, showers later in the afternoon so get out there early and enjoy it for the rest of the week we have got an incredible weather coming our way we've got tomorrow 18 tuesday 18 wednesday 19 thursday 19 and one of those numbers i love to see this time of year is a 20 on friday so we've got some beautiful weather coming our way if you're basically i imagine most of the surface will either be listening to this as a podcast thank you kent for making the podcast of the show or on radio on demand because they're probably surfing today. There is quite has been quite a bit of swell around, mm. so a lot of the um, protected spots have been quite busy. So by protected, I mean the ones that have inside, whether it's inside um, the peninsula there, Flinders and around that area, or the other side of the bay, or even Portsea Pier. I saw photos of people surfing next to Portsea Pier <laughs> just the other day. Wow. Yeah, a lot of swell coming through, but it sort of dropped off a little bit. It's a bit more manageable. So there's a few foot of swell around on the open reefs for experienced surfers. Um, and if you want to know what the tides are, we had got a high tide at 10 o'clock today, so at the end of the show, and then a low this afternoon. So I imagine people... It'd be interesting to hear what Brett has to say in his sailing report about dealing with those conditions at the moment. Maybe he says stay in the bays or go to a lake. Or go to a lake. Yep. I've seen um, some commentary this week about massive swells on the west coast. Yeah. Have you seen that? And it's coming our way. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's coming right for us. I've got an Antarctica weather report. Would you like to hear it? Bring it on. It's going to make poor Cliff. He had to listen to that and now he's, <laughs> he's dealing like with this. So uh, thank you, Cliff. Uh, Casey Weather Station. It is current air temperature minus 14.5 degrees Celsius. With the wind chill factor, it's minus 24.3. Wind is 13 knot. I uh, can't quite see it. I think it's um, maybe east to southeasterly and humidity of 99%. And the Aurora forecast, I'm going to show you this, Cade, but I will be posting it on the oh, Triple wow. R. Yeah, Triple R Facebook uh. page, uh, sorry, the um, Radio Marinara Facebook page after the program. But there's this beautiful kind of green ring. They do a... Um, I heard you talking about it on the show last week and I couldn't picture what an Aurora forecast would look like. So listeners, jump on and have a look. Yeah. It it's quite like, spectacular. It's like a fluorescent green donut kind of on the western side of um, Antarctica. And, uh, and Cliff's also sent us some photos of the aurora itself, 
which he snapped, oh, wow. which is just stunning. So thank you, Cliff, very much, and um, and some other really amazing photos of um, of snow and ice and you know that spectacular Antarctic landscape. So we'll we'll pop all of those. Uh, it's nice to be able to live vicariously through someone else in those conditions because, to be honest, it, as lovely as it would be, sometimes I'm quite happy that um, I get to surf in a 4-3 wetsuit and not be in the Antarctic station. we got some time for a little bit of news and then I think we'll get a track and then get Brett on. Um, this one was an interesting... Two headlines came my way during the week thanks to our talks producer here at Triple R, Elizabeth McCarthy. Um, sea Shepherd applauds the Morrison government, and I nearly fell off my chair at <laughs> just with that alone. Sea Shepherd applauds Morrison government's $100 million for the ocean announcement to be very rapidly followed by the Australian Marine Conservation Society saying marine conservationists welcome vital $100 million for our oceans, which, of, of course, we're going to be welcoming that. We are. But, uh, yeah. Where is – we'll have to sort of dig into that a bit further to see where the money they're planning on it's yeah it's um it's spelled out a little bit in the amcs press release they say funding package includes over 30 million dollars for projects that aim to restore and protect coastal ecosystems including mangroves salt marshes and seagrasses habitat important to many iconic australian species there's 40 million dollars for marine parks um, to improve management pay for restoration and research projects including 5.4 million dollars to improve the health and sustainability of marine life around australia's Indian Ocean Territories uh, and uh, targeted funding for marine species through provision of $5 million to fund measures to avoid bycatch of threatened species is a vital step towards the protection of Australia's marine biodiversity. So looks like good news. It does. The marine parks will be really interesting because the government's been very stagnant on that issue and the rest of the world has been quite vocal about it. So yeah. it'll be interesting to keep tabs on that and see how that goes. Wanting to make sure that money doesn't get all kind of snapped up into consultancies and fancy signage zoom meetings that's <laughs> the cynic in me coming out <laughs> time to uh, let the cabin boy out of the cabin i'm not going to do the sound effect because it was so awful last time <laughs> good morning brett i thought you would have practiced from last week <laughs> to get that that sound right good morning bron kate and kent how are you yeah good fantastic brad what's it like out above the cabin well, it's a little wee chilly out here at the moment. I've just got back from the dawn service out here at Eltham. So uh, it's a beautiful morning and there were plenty of people out there, which was good to see. But, uh, yeah, it's a little chilly outside the cabin. Very different to last um, last year with Anzac Day where we're all standing in our driveways. Well, not we all, but people who choose to acknowledge and commemorate. Um, standing in driveways with candles and... and uh, Different experience, of course, being Sunday, um, things are a bit different for us here at Radio Marinara as well. But, yeah, yeah, chilly. Chilly is the word. Chilly is the word. So uh, what better place to, to be, though, uh, than uh, on a sailboat when it's chilly like this too. Yeah. Now, we were going to talk last week, let's do it this week. In fact, let's do it right now, about options to sail if you don't live by the sea. We've kind of jumped straight to the assumption that we're looking at lakes well, true, true, because often, you know, like, you know, a lot of us don't live by the sea, so it kind of restricts your sailing, but there's plenty of other places to sail, and let's not get too far from the sea for this first one, because there's the Albert Park Lake. It's only, what, one or two K from the sea? But it's not a bad little place. You can actually learn to sail there through the boat shed, which is a little uh, thing there, and there's two sailing clubs, the Albert Park Yacht Club and the Albert Sailing Club, 
And the advantage of a lake such as Albert Park Lake is you can put the kids on and they're not going to go anywhere. They're only going to run into the shore opposite. So it's quite safe for kids to uh, learn how to sail on Albert Park Lake. Is it pretty shallow? It is pretty shallow. We used to sail there as kids too and we used to have a little skiff and our daggerboard was always too long so we were continually running aground especially in light winds as in i don't think we're going anywhere uh, do you think we might be aground and uh yeah nine times out of ten we'd touch the bottom so but that's it so um and there's also gun island in the middle that you can uh, go and explore too so i think you can hire boats from down at albert park lake so if you haven't got one you can pop down there so not too far from the sea um if you're out I'm sorry Brad, further, you can hire a sailing boat down there is that what you're saying? I think you can. You used to be able to, and I'm pretty sure you can from the boat shed down there. Just, uh, I'm not quite sure what they are, but they're simple little boats. You don't even know how need to know how to sail to actually jump in one and get yourself around the lake. That sounds like a great idea. Thanks. Sorry, I interrupted you then. No, I was going to say, well, there's Gun Island in the middle too. So uh, if you've got some kids, you can almost, you know, pretend you're looking for buried treasure on Gun Island and uh, kind of... Uh, Kind of talk it up that way too. Or just drop them off and go. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> go and have, a, yeah. have a little drink. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll come back a bit later. Uh, now, out in the eastern suburbs, there's Lilydale Lake too. Oh, I've never been there, but I know you can sail there. Um, I Restricted to little dinghies, and I think, again, it's quite shallow. But uh, if you're thinking of popping up there with your boat, uh, Melbourne Water is best to give them a call on 131 722 and you'll get all the information there. So um, that's a lake. Another lake out this side of town, it were in my side of town, is the Sugarloaf Reservoir up in Christmas Hills. It's kind of a, a little bit of a hit, hidden one. It's actually part of our domestic water supply. So it's fed by the Maroondah Aqueduct and, it's, uh, and the Yarra River. And then it goes through the Sugarloaf pipeline and it's treated at the Winnikey water treatment plant before it actually comes out of your taps. So hence it's got a few res- uh, restrictions there. It's only off the beach dinghies and catamarans. You can't, there's no paddle craft, there's no sailboards. You definitely can't swim in it and they recommend highly that you don't pee in your wetsuit. <laughs> That's a pretty good That's general nice. recommendation, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, water catchment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, the trouble with these in, uh, inland lakes is sometimes the wind can be quite fickle because of the mountains or the hills around. So you'll either have a lot of wind as it funnels through the uh, valleys or you won't have much wind at all. So you kind of need to be on your toes. You know, you're sitting there and it's not much wind and then suddenly you'll get that big gust as it comes through the valley and uh, nine times out of ten over and uh, you're swimming. So you've got to be careful on some of those lakes. So that'd be your the top. Big- yeah, go on. Sorry, Brett. Well, I was going to say, the other big lake, of course, is Lake Eildon. So predominantly houseboats, jet skiers and water skiers, and you do have to dodge a lot of the uh, tree branches still sticking out of the water, but perfectly good sailing, and, yeah, you can sail for days up at Lake Eildon. Is that the sort of thing that you can do if you haven't had much experience? Do they, can you go and have a lesson, or um, are that those sorts of options for people who maybe haven't done much sailing before? 
Probably, if you if you haven't, either go to Albert Park Lake or go to one of your um, seaside kind of uh, yacht clubs there because a lot of those yacht clubs welcome um, people in who haven't learnt to sail yet and uh, they've got a lot of sailing courses in. So maybe stick to your beachside um, yacht clubs if you haven't, if you want to learn to sail because they, they've got all the uh, facilities there. This kind of inland is kind of if you've got your own little boat and you can't get to the sea, head, you know, you can head inland too. Yep, good one. All right, so Eildon, yep. Yeah, Lake Eildon. Um, This one's for the adventurous. It's the Lake Eyre Yacht Club. It's founded in 1974 over in South Australia. Sailing apparently is pretty good at the moment due to the Queensland floods, but most years mud can be deeper than the water up there. So... um, But I, I'd love to go up there and just explore that wetland there as the water came flooding in and just kind of poke around. That would be absolutely fantastic, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Another one in South Australia which is really big with the uh, sailboard is, is Lake George. It's just near Mount Gambia. It's on the coast, but it's a flat lake and it's quite um, quite shallow. And a lot of the sailboarders go there to try and set some speed records because there's no chop whatsoever and uh, the wind gets funneled down. So that's really popular with sailboards at the moment. They often go up there for the week and, um, yeah, back and forth across um, Lake George. And I know a a few people that do that and they they reckon it's the best place to sailboard in Australia almost. Make the most of it while the borders are still open, hey, Brett? Oh, yeah, well and truly. (laughs) Now, look, there is the Yarra River too. The lower reaches of the Yarra around the Docklands is quite good. Uh, it's quite wide, so you can tack back and forth, and there's not too much current there. So that's, that, that's another option if, you're, you know, if you don't want to head out into, the, uh, into any of the beaches and that. So that's, as I said, you're going to have to dodge the, um, some of the boats. But often, to uh, just potter up some rivers and uh, up the Maribyrnong and all that, just have a look around too. It's also a, a quite an interesting thing to do. Fantastic. That's great, Brett. So, yeah, plenty of options there. Now, you did mention about the big swells, about sailing in big swells. We did, too. yes. Because one of the things yeah. I was thinking with all this freshwater stuff is it's great because you get your gear home and it's not salty. But how do you go with these big swells, Brett? Well, if, well, if you're out there in them, they don't slow you down because you're just up and over them. Um, if you're prone to seasickness, not so good because, yeah, you are bobbing up and down. And I've never crossed an ocean, but if you do get some of those big swells, they are so big that once you're down the bottom of the swell, you lose your wind because of the waves around you. So it's like mountains around you, mountains of water. So that's another big downside if, uh, downside if you've got a lot of uh, swell around you. And I'm guessing coming into the rip or something like that becomes just that little bit more treacherous with the swell that size. Yeah, well, see, you'd want to, um, you'd want the tide to be coming with you with that swell. You wouldn't want the tide coming out with the swell because that's going to make the swell stand up and break a bit. So it's not just the swell, it's the tide, it's the wind. you kind of got to factor quite a few factors in to decide if you're going to go out or if you're going to come in or, or what. So Sounds like a whole, windy, a whole new segment there, Brett. Yeah, too windy, too uh, big, stay at home. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. No worries. Always. Well, hopefully the wind's not too fickle. So, like last week, we uh, had to tack back and forth and didn't quite get there, but <laughs> I didn't enjoy the report from the Antarctic, so that was very good. Yeah, it was lovely to catch up with Cliff, and thank you for being so understanding and, um, and catching up with us today instead. And I believe we've, we're catching up with you again in two weeks, two, three weeks? 
Um, I haven't looked that far ahead, but yeah. <laughs> we'll see. You can't in these COVID times. You can't. <laughs> can't leave you. Can't leave you down in your cabin for too long. No, true. I've got to be fed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Catch you soon. All right. Have a great Anzac Day. You too. See ya. Okay. Bye. Bye. Brett Ditchfield, our cabin boy. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear more about the, the swells, tides, currents and things like that because there are quite a few treacherous water passages here and sort of around the country. So I'm sure Brett's had to navigate through them. So I might get him onto that. Yeah, highly experienced sailor. Sticking on that and sticking on our theme of Western Port, um, there's... The Western Port Pier, the, there's a 180-metre section from the shore to the sort of current concrete landing that's out there that is um, earmarked for removal. So a tender's gone out for that to be done. And so the local community, because it's the timber section that's going to be removed and um, we'll be left with the um, concrete and steel perfunctory, I guess you could say, right. pier um, and losing that sort of characteristic old wooden pier is sort of going. So the local community... They're not too um, impressed with this idea, so they've actually called a local meeting. So the Flinders Community Association has called a community meeting at Flinders Hall on Saturday the 8th of May at 11.30. So there's been a lot of stuff going around social media and it's probably something we could post as well. So there's concerns around the heritage of now the pier. It's probably not so much the structure. The pier has constantly had to change over time because... You know, wooden piers don't last for a long time, but it was involved in setting up communications with Tasmania, which is something I didn't realise. No, yeah. I didn't know that either. So it's, it, that, the pier has that heritage listing. There's concern about the marine life on the poles, obviously, that are going to be removed, and then the weedy sea dragons, how they're going to be impacted by that work that's going on. So as I said, I'll say again, so on Saturday the 8th of May at 11.30, there's a community meeting at Flinders Town Hall, or Flinders Hall, um, called by the Flinders Community Association. So it's going to sort of get to the bottom of some of those issues. And it won't be just uh, people who live in Flinders and, and around that area impacted. You sort of think about the broader diving community. You mentioned the pylons and Flinders Pier, is, it's an iconic dive, particularly if you're a beginner diver. And even if you're not, it's just, it's one of those places that I don't know any diver in Melbourne that hasn't dived at Flinders Pier Oh, uh, and it's a go-to if people say, oh, I'd like to go and see Wheaties, even snorkelers. Like, where do I go? And yeah. Flinders Pier. Is yeah. the teddy bear still there? There was a teddy bear on the very end pylon for quite some time. <laughs> I haven't it's, seen the teddy bear. It's a guardian. Been there for a while. But <laughs> it's interesting what you're saying about it. It's basically, it's a community asset. Yeah. Um, you know, parks are managing it. It's something that they are sort of um, their responsibility, but it's a community asset. And I did a bit of reading to find something. So here's just a quote. This was taken from the UK. It's like, peers are totemic assets and a totem brings people together, symbolising their kinship and the things they have in common. Flat, free and open to everyone, piers are the epitome of accessible open space and act like public park stretching out over the Silver Sea. Mm. Which is that sort of feeling I think most people have and it's, you know, people just walk along piers because they're there. Yeah. Um, and we're, look, we're not losing the functionality of Flinders Pier. It will still be there. We're just losing a, an old section of the pier, um, old timber section, which sort of has that rustic charm that people love so much. Yeah, there's the above and there's the below. There's two elements to this, I think. There is, and often the below is left out of That's the right. equation. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. Mentioned um, a study that was done. We're going to 
follow this one up in more detail, um, but I did mention it in our social media um, promotion for this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just wanted to mention it quickly. It was some research that's come out from Melbourne University about the impacts of tagging fish and uh, just a little bit of history about tagging fish. That tags, I didn't know this. Tags have been used since the 1870s. I actually did know this, did but know I did that? some fish tagging when I was working at fishery. So, so you learned a bit about yeah, the history of it. 1870s, dive, yeah. um, initially to follow the migration routes of salmon and um, early tags being lengths of copper or silver. Uh, and obviously they've gone a fair way since then. But, um, you know, tagging and releasing, particularly with uh, with recreational fishing, has sort of always been seen as a more positive alternative to catching and keeping fish. Uh, entire fishing tournaments are built around this. But there's some new study that's come up. It's actually not just it's, – it's a collaborative exercise. So research scientists from University of Melbourne, Institute of Marine Research Norway, Norwegian University of Science and Technology – um, using tags to investigate the response of farmed salmon to parasites and track how salmon swim in new cage environments and test their ability to learn new behaviours. So through this uh, research, they've discovered a few uh, major impacts. Tagged fish mortality was 10 times higher in studies conducted in sea cages to where fish are held compared to tanks. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, Sea cage aquaculture conducted in floating cages attached to moorings in sea that's open to wider marine environment. And in the sea cages, one in four tagged fish died within the period they were studied. In general, the longer the study, the higher the mortality rate. So obviously this is fairly contextual. We're talking about... It is in the the cages themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then they asked the question, why are mortality rates so high in sea cages and why do they differ from tank studies? So... Let's leave that one for there because it's actually quite detailed. The article is really long and I think we're not going to do it justice just to sort of speculate. But interesting results and the results of the results will catch up with uh, the scientists behind those results yeah, well, in the weeks ahead. It's Professor Tim Dempster who's at yes. Melbourne Uni who's been on the show several times before. So we might have to put in a call and get him to sort of put some context around that and also talk about why they tag fish in aquaculture cages Mm. because there's a lot of reason why they did it to learn their behavior to help with the further production so it'd be interesting to get him in to talk about it's been a while and how much we can maybe potentially extrapolate these findings to to wild fish exactly other contexts now our next guest chelsea gustafson she's a peninsula a bellarine peninsula based artist who's committed to finding ways to portray environmental issues that concern her the most She frequently uses washed-up beach debris to highlight her worries about the health of our oceans and to question the role that we as individuals play in making this world a better or sometimes worse place. Chelsea Gustafson has a new exhibition called Not Quite Right. It opens this coming Tuesday in Flinders Lane Gallery. And to tell her all about it, we now cross to Ocean Grove to welcome to Triple R and to Radio Maranara artist Chelsea Gustafson. Good morning, Chelsea. Oh, good morning, Bron. How are you? Well, thanks. And yourself, how are things down in Ocean Grove this morning? It's sunny today. It's a lovely sunny day. <laughs> I did see it. I just had a quick look through your Instagram. It's Kate here, Chelsea. Um, Post. And there was a surfboard in the back as you were painting. I'm surprised you're here <laughs> with us and you're not out surfing. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... Um, I'm I'm still waking up. I, I um I shuffle around and bump into things in the mornings. Um, I'm not a not much of a dawn patroller, so yeah. I, I I'll I'll get out there. I'll get my hair wet today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're on your own there. Um, now you've come to us by curator Fee Luxford. So shout out first up to Fee. Thanks for connecting us. Uh, you've worked with Fee for some time, I believe. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm with um, Flinders Lane Gallery where Fee works as well. And so this is, um, I've got my second solo coming up with them. I think it opens uh, Tuesday, I think it is. So, yeah. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about yourself first, Chelsea, because uh, I've been last night. I was sort of having a look through um, the work that you've done. Um, absolutely stunning. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, look, can I ask you about yourself? So your art in particular, and what motivates you to paint? Okay. Um, so uh, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, so uh, have you the, always I painted? Is Sorry, have you always painted? Is it something that you've done since? It is. Since you were yeah. Little, yeah, yeah. I studied. Um, I was a bit of a. I wasn't a great student, um, but yeah, it's just something I've always fallen back on. It's a bit of my outlet, I suppose. We, um, yeah, it, it's how I um, process my thoughts and things, and I don't know. It's just what I do. It's what I get you a do. bit um, antsy if I'm not doing it. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when you know, isn't it? Um, now. I'm no art critic. Um, we're a program about marine things, and we love our art, but we, you know, we're not we're not specialists in this area. So instead of kind of trying to describe things, I'm going to read from a description that someone far someone far more knowledgeable about art wrote um, about your art. It says uh, her oils on board are beautifully executed, finely detailed, and full of a warm undercurrent of gentle humour and play that sort of helps to cut through the darker, heavier subject matter that her work gestures toward. That seemed to be a pretty fair description. Are you happy with that description? Yeah, I think so. I'm um, I'm not a wordsmith or anything, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always happy when people can um, string a sentence together for me. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the this sort of concept of the darker, heavier subjects, which certainly seems to be the running theme with your current with your exhibition, your your current one that's about to open. Um, is that something that you gravitate towards? when you're drawn to capture something on the canvas? Because it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, um, you know, pretty flowers and and sort of the, the lovely aspect of the marine environment. There, there's definitely, it's that kind of darker side and particularly human impacts. Yeah, yeah. Um, th there's always a bit of an environmental theme, I suppose, going on my, with my work. Um, so I like listening to sciencey and informative programs and documentaries and books and articles and things and I'm not great at retaining the information so my work isn't about like um educating or relaying information to anyone but um I think it's more about the general vibe that I think we're all feeling which um things aren't great like um there's always discussions about climate change and loss of biodiversity and ocean acidification and they're all pretty common topics being addressed quite regularly and um, it doesn't feel like we're progressing positively so I, I'd like to think that this puts my work more at a point of connection for others I suppose. Um, often I think about how we can stay informed but not overwhelmed with all the information and um, I don't know painting that's yeah that's my outlet I'm lucky I can do that and process it in my head it doesn't um solve any problems but yeah I'd like to think that maybe it's a a connecting point for others as well now just to let you in on a little secret about the amount of research, um, homework we do on this show is that I hadn't seen your paintings until this morning when Bron showed me some of them and I actually Perfect. thought they were sculptures <laughs> um and didn't realize they were paintings for a while I was just flicking through going oh that's an interesting one of the boy and then you've got the the crap um painting there 
Do you? The crap painting there is um. It, it's, it's the title. The, sorry, the painting title crap. You took the bait. It's a, it's, a, it's a portion of a who gives a crap. Yes. Um, toilet paper box. Yes. Sorry, yeah. listeners will have to um, look it up to see what I'm talking about. But do you f- see the items as you're walking around, going, "Oh, I want to paint that," or do you just collect this stuff, throw it in the corner, and then go, "Oh, I'm just going to put these things together and sort of then work on that aesthetic and paint it"? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, some things I see and, um, yeah, definitely want to paint them. Um, and I, I just picture things... you walking along a beach just gathering things and dragging this <laughs> massive sack behind you. One, you're doing a good thing by helping clean up the environment, but then you're also turning that into something as well. Yeah, well, I, I do I do um, pick up bits of plastic down the beach. Um, often, you know, it's just like walking the dog or something and it's a bit addictive really. It's like, um, it's like where's Wally? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's meditation for my wife so I understand you there. Yeah, yeah. So um, some of the things like, you know, I've been them straight away and it, it doesn't feel like, you know, I'm accumulating that much at a time. Um when I when I am picking things up, but um, yeah, yeah, some things like that that boy, the surface float, um, that I didn't find that one down there, but I knew I wanted to um, paint one. They they kind of gross me out a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, I think the texture, that crusty, it's deteriorating. It's I don't know just the feel of it, and um, yeah, so that one's got like the halo, wonky halo of um, kelp and the. Um, that shiny curling ribbon people tie onto balloons that um, that really grinds my gears having to pull that out of kelp and seaweed down at the beach and so I don't know for for that reason um, I kind of enjoy painting them and so like I play with the light and things and get some dramatic shadows and things going on and I don't know it's a bit of a yin and yang love hate sort of thing going on with it I guess yeah it definitely comes out when you're looking at these pieces you can you can kind of feel the emotion that's gone into this uh, for sure I'm really looking forward to coming and checking out all your pieces Um, how many pieces are there in the exhibition Chelsea um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I reckon there's at least, from what I saw on the website. Gosh, I, I get them out the door and go, whoa, what that just one's happened done. in the past that six one's months? Done. Um, Maybe 12? I don't know, they might be like 18 or something. Oh, 18, yeah. And they're, and they're all for sale, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they're stunning. Um, I've got a few titles here, uh, some of the pieces. Um, oh Boy, which is the one we've been talking about. We've actually put a... Um, uh, a photo of that on our Facebook page for our show this morning. It's oh, yep, the boy yep. with the algae um, crap, which yes, Kate I mentioned. Fell for. Um, <laughs> and there's one called Sunshiny Day. There's the surface float and uh, Coria Alba. Actually, can you tell us a little bit about that one? Oh, um, I love gosh. that one. When, when I'm putting a, um, a series together, um, so the intention is for them to all work together to support a narrative, I guess. Mm. Um, some have little backstories to them, some a support crew, some seem a bit obvious even, um, maybe like the crap one. Um, some can be a bit aloof, like a loose thread that I might even tease out and it develops into another series. Um, yeah, that one's kind of a bit more support crew, I reckon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so who would be your who, who are your stars of the show? Um, uh I think my favourite piece is um, one, uh, it's called Balled Up, and um, 
it's a couple of bits of clay that I've sort of twisted and slapped together and it's got random bits stuck to it like seashell, a broken bottleneck and a stick and bone and some rubble. And that one came about from watching a documentary with my kids where this octopus was being hunted down by some pyjama sharks and I think their name alone um, captivated my kids' imaginations. <laughs> and um, the octopus that starts grabbing rocks and starfish and shells from the seafloor, balling itself up in disguise until it disappears. Uh, I think there was some similar footage in um, the documentary My Octopus Teacher too. And so that's just a little backstory of this piece. And, of course, no one's going to look at it and think it's an octopus in disguise. But for me, it was just playing with, like, the vibe of something that um, fascinated me and the kids and we still talk about after seeing it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> the exhibition is called Not Quite Right. It's on at Flinders Lane Gallery. It's in the Nicholas Building, Level 137 Swanston Street, Melbourne. It does open on Tuesday and runs until the 15th of May. So can highly recommend to get down there and have a look at it. I will certainly be doing that. And um, Chelsea, thanks so much for joining us this morning and all the very best with your exhibition. Oh, no, thanks very much for having me, guys. A pleasure. It's been a joy. Without further ado, our baykeeper, Neil Blake, good morning. Right. And thanks to Kent, the panel beater strikes again. He's connected with <laughs> Skype. Done well. <laughs> good stuff. Now let's hop straight into it. Synthetic grass. There was an article on, um, on uh, this issue and your work in bringing this to public attention last week. What's, what's the latest with, with synthetic grass? And, um, and this suddenly seems to be a problem. What's going on? Yeah, I think uh, it, there's more and more of installations of uh, soccer pitches and various even in play around playgrounds. Uh, this the, the whole um, market, I suppose, for synthetic grass seems to be really taken up by uh, many uh, local governments, for example, who are you know tasked with actually managing and creating sporting fields. Uh, and uh, there's lots of arguments about you know whether or not it's a good thing or not, but nobody seems to really be paying any attention to the issue about the offcuts and, and fragments of the stuff that actually escape from the sites and they ultimately find their way to the waterways. So that's really what I'm trying to bring attention to. Yeah, it's because at the end of the day, this is plastic, isn't it? That's right, and uh, it's you know ultimately. Um, as any plastics that are floating in waterways and particularly through urban areas are also going to uh, absorb uh, other contaminants that are that chemical contaminants that might be in the waterways too so uh, uh, that means that the fact that they're of a size which can be actually swallowed by uh, wildlife and particularly fish uh, is creates this possibility of ultimately polluting our food chain uh, Neil, how are you doing? It's Kate here. Just wanted to ask you, with all the work that you did in the Yarra and the Maribyrnong River, doing your trawls, looking for litter, did synthetic grass come up much in that? It did. Uh, there was enough there to at least uh, raise concerns, yep. uh, Kate. Uh, so, and that's really what prompted me to take a closer look at the uh, KP Hardyman Reserve in Plenty Road when they were doing the. Uh, the, uh, inst the installation, which involved ripping up an existing synthetic uh, pitch. Uh, and so when I started looking at it, I found there was quite a lot leaking off the site, and that's what uh, prompted uh, continued surveys over about six-month period. 
Well, that's a great example of research that of raising further questions. Like you find that small thing and, and then it leads on to something a lot bigger and now you're highlighting this thing that has probably been overlooked for quite a long time now. Yeah, well, I was treating it as a, as a case study, Kate, and uh, I've you know, been c communicating with uh, the project managers uh, throughout the whole period and uh, talked to them on site after they were prompted by the EPA uh, and uh, suggested they needed to put in some curtains, and uh, a timber curtain preferably because that wouldn't uh, fray, uh, and so they put in plastic curtains which have frayed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a learning experience for everybody. Yeah. Good stuff. Neil, we're going to have to wrap up shortly, but let's get you back on in the next couple of weeks to explore this one further. Anything you want to plug for um, activities coming up in the next couple of weeks? Uh, um, we're a little bit, I'm in a bit limbo with uh, the activities. I am doing some um, beach profiles, particularly mapping uh, the dunes at Middle Park. I want to do that sometime in the next week or so, but haven't actually fixed a date at this date. So if people do want to keep an eye on echocentre.com, uh, there, there should be some notification there. All right, great. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. We've done that before, but we'll do it again just for you, Neil. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we'll follow this one up because it, it does seem to be uh, synthetic grass. Are they the new nurdles? We think possibly so. So um, oh, Definitely, yeah. yeah so, possibly even bigger than that. Yeah, right. Mm. The new the issue for 2021. Thanks, Neil. We'll catch you Good soon. You, Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.